And we're live. Welcome back to the Backmarkers F1 show. This is going to be previewing the 2019 Japanese Grand Prix. So glad to have you guys along. Just myself and Shaker tonight, today here with you. Tyler is away. He's uh, currently working tonight, so mm -hmm. catch up with him after the race. Uh, in a race that might not even happen. <laughs> yeah, so this might be a quick episode, but <laughs> yeah. the last few times we've said that, they've been like 50 minutes long. So Yeah, that's right. I think it will be shorter than that. <laughs> yes, but, exactly. Um, it might be the weather report, and then it's good night. <laughs> we don't have many of these left, honestly. I mean, what? This is the uh, five races. Mm -hmm. um, four after this one, right? So we're getting to uh, the final home stretch of the season, and we're already talking about when Mercedes is going to clinch their championship. And yeah, after this weekend, uh, there's no more double uh, double headers. So no, that's it's, pretty much it. Every two weeks or two or three weeks from then on. Yep. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, rapidly coming to a close. But I guess we'll start off this episode before we get into the the news in the last two weeks, and also looking at our track layout. Let's talk about the impending weather forecast that's coming to Suzuka and, and just Japan, off, off the coast in Japan. Uh, if you guys haven't heard, there's a, a typhoon that's made that's on its way to Japan right now as yeah. we speak. I want to give a shout out to my buddy Matt Morgan, who's in Japan right now. Oh boy. <laughs> what part? Uh, he's traveling all over, so I think he was saying he'd be in Tokyo at that oh. point. So, I, you know, like I, I don't know where it's going to hit, but... I'm pretty sure it's in Tokyo. He might be somewhere else, but yeah. Yeah, shout out to Matt. Yeah, he's uh, hope 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 he does okay. Hope everybody does okay, realistically. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is not something new to Japan. They have yeah. this. I don't want to say often, but they they're definitely used to it. And I'm already reading some things that by the time the typhoon leeches leeches reaches landfall, it's gonna you know calm down a lot more than what it looks like now. Mm -hmm. And it happens all the time, right? They suspect this is gonna be the massive storm, the biggest storm ever. And then when the day comes, it's just kind Not of rain, big, yeah. you know? So that's what we hope for, obviously. I mean, we know about that in Canada with snow, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, it happens. right? happens. You know, sometimes it is pretty big, but yeah. Yeah, Sorry. you can never trust the, the weather forecast, but it is looking a little bit sketchy for the race. And even the uh, Rugby World Cup, I think England and France have canceled their match. Mm -hmm. That's uh, due to be played, I believe, on Thursday or Friday. Now... They thought about maybe moving it to another area in Japan, but I think that they've just decided to cancel it. Oh, it makes sense. You know, just playing it safe. Yeah, but with F1, we haven't really heard any... Like, honestly, I haven't heard anything out of F1 coming from their official channels. A lot of this I'm reading is coming from people that are inside or outside of the paddock and just kind of weather stations around the world, but no official confirmation mm -hmm. or even statement from F1 in terms of what would happen if... Qualifying, let's say, was canceled because according to the whole weather tracking system and the things that I'm reading is that the current forecast is to take the center right through Tokyo on Saturday. So you're saying if Matt is in Tokyo, he mm -hmm. might be getting a little bit of it as well. And the very strong typhoon, so flooding, rain, and damaging winds likely so on the Saturday. And obviously that would affect qualifying in, uh, in Japan and in Suzuka. So... In that case, so let's say if qualifying was canceled, what they have done in the past, if you remember back to the U.S. Grand Prix a couple of years ago, I believe it was in 2015, um, they actually used FP3 times. If well, They were able to complete the qualifying, I believe, but mm -hmm. 
Sorry, I'm like the reason I'm, I'm also reading on Reddit. Yeah. Of the reason what, what what would happen if a race was canceled? Apparently, it looks like five years ago the same situation kind of did happen, where there's a typhoon hit about to hit Japan. Correct. Um, so funny situation. Well, not funny situation. Sorry, I apologize. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it looks like uh, there's somebody. I just lost it here, but uh, somebody said there's like four kind of scenarios that would happen. Uh, it'd be just a normal wet race. Um, It'll be classified after the number of laps have been completed or the two-hour time limit is running. Now, it's kind of based out, basically based off the first point. They would either keep going with a safety car uh, until they think it's safe to race and it'll just be a normal wet race. Yep. Or they'll be red flagged and um, that means the race is officially started, so half points can be awarded. They'll probably wait until the four-hour limit of the race has passed until they confirm the results. So, yeah, it looks like, yeah. It's a lot of different scenarios, apparently. Well, we've seen uh, Malaysia, which was it, maybe 10 or 15 years ago now, half points were awarded because of that monsoon that happened there. Yeah. And they just had to call a race. It was yeah. you know, undrivable conditions. And then 2014, obviously, you mentioned it is is famous or unfortunately famous for Jules Bianchi's accident. Yeah. And, and that was the, the really treacherous conditions there. And that race was red flag. So, yeah, it's definitely possible. But I think the main concern is Saturday because they're expecting yeah, for sure, 100 for millimeters qualifying. of rain and... Um, so yeah, so it could be that, let's say if they run free practice three, they might use the free practice three times. If they can't qualify at all, maybe they'll use championship standings. You know, I'm not, I was trying to find the exact rule for scenarios, but I think they just try and play it by the conditions because maybe they'll able to get the morning FP3 session in. Maybe they'll be able to get some qualifying in. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Let's say if they push it to Sunday, because we've had scenarios before where they have qualified on Sunday. Uh, a lot of other racing series have done that as well. But the problem is, is let's say if the weather's not good enough in the morning either to qualify, I think they're starting the race 2.10 p.m. local time, mm-hmm. and sunset is around 5, 5.10 p.m. in mm-hmm. Japan. That was the issue in the 2014 race. So there's another problem as well. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, a lot of di- different circumstances can come into play for the weekend. But, uh, yeah, it should be interesting. I mean... Maybe it will carry over onto Sunday. We might have an interesting wet race. Yeah, best case scenario is, you know, we get qualifying through in whatever order that it is, but Sunday we get a good wet race. Not monsoon, mm. not a typhoon, just a good classic yeah, wet race. You know, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, that would be. It, w- it will make the championship a little bit more interesting for, uh, you know, the top five. So Yeah, yeah for sure. But... As of right now, we are recording this on Wednesday, so a day later than what we usually do. So hopefully, I mean, we'll probably miss some breaking news, but yeah, we've kind of sure. got it, most of it covered. So as of right now, no reports yet on the race. So everything is still scheduled to go. I think Friday free practice won't be really affected. The sun was actually shining. It looked beautiful yeah, today yeah. in Suzuka, but that will definitely change. So uh, stay up to date, obviously, with it on, on Twitter and online. We'll be posting any updates as well. So if you follow us on Twitter at TBMF One Show, we'll be posting uh, any of the latest updates that we hear as well. But uh, mm-hmm. stay tuned with that. But regardless, we're going to go ahead as if there was no impending typhoon. That <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really happen uh, at every race that we preview. And let's get into some of the news and uh, stuff that we've been following the past couple weeks uh, following the Russian Grand Prix. And some news that's actually relevant to the home crowd, if we have any Japanese viewers out there, is that the Super Formula and Super GT champion Naoki 
Yamamoto is going to take place in Toro Rosso's FP1 session. So he'll be oh, nice. replacing Pierre Gasly. Obviously, he is a Japanese driver, and it is Honda's home race. So mm-hmm. Red Bull and Toro Rosso's engine supplier. A massive, massive weekend for them. And really, this is obviously going to be the debut weekend at their home race with yeah. Red Bull. They've been here last year with Toro Rosso, and they had a pretty decent result, actually, in yeah, the points. Yeah, they've, they've been doing quite a lot to promote that, you know, that home race for them as well uh, the last week or so, I want to say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. even the last uh, couple weeks, they've yeah. been, you know, really ramping it up, like you said. And having a Japanese driver in a car that's powered by Honda, it's, it's big for them. He yeah, won't be racing sure. the rest of the sessions, mm-hmm. obviously, but... Just to get him in there for that FP1 session, I think is going to be great for the home fans and also good for the future because we got a lot of these up-and-coming Japanese drivers. There's Matsushita, obviously, in F2 as well, who's a really good driver. So I think that Honda maybe was pushing this to uh, mm-hmm. to get him in that seat. So we'll see how he does. Uh, but he is replacing Pierre Gasly for that FP1 session. Um, and moving on, we had Renault. They're going to be trialing a new front wing this weekend. Okay. They're in a huge bid to score some big points because obviously the battle between them and uh, McLaren is really heating up toward the end of the season. So they're going to be introducing a new front wing in Suzuka, which is relevant because obviously in Suzuka, you need a good level of downforce Mm -hmm. and it really comes a lot from that front end, from the front wing as well. So I'm wondering whether uh, whether this is going to help Renault. Obviously, they've kind of had... uh, a bad news week after McLaren left them, and yeah, now they're all sure. alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much just them in the in, you know in 2020s. But you know it should be it, it, maybe it will be better for them in the in the long run, and they can just focus on their own engine. Yeah, I think we said that last week too in yes. our in our recap that it might it might end up being a good thing for them. But mm-hmm. it seemed like they wanted a closer relationship with McLaren, and McLaren didn't want that. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, but I mean Renault, what is the championship standings actually between? Uh, the fight for the best of the rest between Renault and McLaren. I believe it's still within a shot for Renault to get to the fourth place. Uh, so McLaren has 101 and Renault has 68. So, you know, if McLaren does very poorly in the next four or five races, they have a good chance. And we know Renault does get in the top 10. They have a good, uh, good chance to make it or at least be very close. Like you said, it is a pretty big gap, but if you do have, let's say, a, a double retirement for McLaren, which yeah. we hope we won't happen. Yeah, but for sure. That's why Renault is targeting for big points because they need to claw back that gap. But if McLaren consistently keeps finishing well, like they have in the last couple races, minus the sort of reliability or pit stop mistakes, then mm-hmm. yeah, they should they should be able to, to clinch that fourth spot. And uh, yeah, I mean, McLaren heading into this race as well, they think they're going to do okay. They think they're going to have some good chances here. I mean, Carlos Sainz hasn't had the best of luck at Suzuka the last couple of years. Lando Norris is very inexperienced at this track. I think he only did a free practice session last year. So it's kind of a mix of the two, right? You got some bad luck for Sainz, inexperience for, for Lando. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think McLaren should be should be pretty handy around this track as well. I think, I think they're going to go well. If they did well in Sochi, this track is a little bit similar um, in terms of levels of downforce. So I think that McLaren will, will be pretty handy around this circuit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on, Mercedes as well, another team that's going to be bringing small upgrades. They're not bringing any more major upgrades for, for 2019, obviously. They've kind of put the focus more to 2020, mm-hmm. but they are bringing some small upgrades because of you know the, the gap to Ferrari in the last couple of races. So they're really trying to make that up by bringing the small upgrades. And speaking of Ferrari, we mentioned this off the top of the show that Mercedes has a chance to clinch the Constructors' Championship in this race. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, they need to outscore Ferrari by 14 points, and they clinched their sixth consecutive wow. Constructors' Championship. And it seems like a lot of dri- well, drivers, more drivers have kind of settled the championship at, uh, at Japan during the championships. Yeah, obviously back in uh, the good old days of McLaren Honda, not the 2015 days, yeah. but uh, with Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost, obviously we had the two famous accidents in Suzuka. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, it's still talked about today. And For sure. I think Michael Schumacher also clinched his title, uh, championship title here as well. That's right. First one for Ferrari. That yep. was a, that was a great race uh, in the battle with Mika Hakkinen. Very emotional day. So yeah, I mean, you you bring a good point. Like this is a. I only say this because F1 posted a video. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have mentioned it. You should have been like, I, I remember, you know, 1999. Yeah, but you know, so <laughs> I saw it the same way too, right? Um, well, because I think F1 just posted today the battle with uh, Prost and Senna. I believe it was in yeah. 1990 when. Prost uh, crashed into him or they crashed together into the final hairpin and then Senna kept going and then Prost obviously complained to the FIA and the decision was reversed so Mm -hmm. um, but yeah it was it was depicted in the Senna documentary too I remember it from there yeah so yeah it's a historic track man I mean I believe I was just looking at the track map that they've only been yeah since 1987 was the first Grand Prix and I feel like it has way more history than that. I, I don't know. I feel like it's been around longer. I was a bit surprised that the first race was held here in 1987 because I just feel that it's been like one of the staples in the F1 calendar of mm-hmm. the best racetrack, one of the best, arguably, in the world. So even though it is still relatively new, I mean, it, it's just a racer's track. I mean, every driver is looking forward to this weekend. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it should be an exciting race. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I would love it if it was a dry qualifying session because they think that the cars can go almost a second quicker than they did last year with the added downforce. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, we can get into the track map a little bit later, but the first sector and the the S's is probably probably the best sequence of corners in in F1. Mm -hmm. And that's where you really get to showcase the the car performance of the 2019 F1 car. So, I mean, I hope that we can get some sort of dry running where the drivers are really pushing Mm -hmm. because it's really, really impressive to see um, when you're watching at home. And the last two things before we get into our track layout and tire info, the FIA officially approved the 2020 calendar. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I think. Yeah. About the provisional calendar, but now that they've officially locked it in, mark your calendars, 22 races for 2020. That's right. should be exciting. 22. And the preseason test dates the 19th to the 21st of February and the 26th to the 28th. So only six days of testing this year. Wow. Yeah. So it's going to be, man, it's going to be a crazy season and this is going to be very busy. I think we're going to need to plan out this season because I just looked at it quickly before I got here and it was a lot of back-to-backs and I mean, there's 22 of these damn things. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be building up quite a lot. Like I know there wasn't a whole bunch of back-to-backs this year until September pretty much. So and then last year, there was quite a few of them. Yeah, remember the triple header? Yeah, exactly. So. That was insane. I mean, from a fan's perspective, obviously, more races is great because we love F1 and we wish we could watch it every weekend. Mm-hmm. But I'm a little bit of a skeptic in this in this race calendar. And honestly, I think that 22 is too much. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking of it in terms for not the drivers, but the teams, right? And Verstappen said this, I think, that you might, you know, guys that are working on the cars and hospitality and all those logistics guys, yeah, 
they might as well file for divorce right now because... <laughs> They're going to be extremely busy. Yeah, I mean, look, the first race starts in March 15th, and then the final one is in November 29th, and obviously everybody knows about the F1 way of life is it starts way earlier than that. Yeah, for sure. Like, probably you're starting a month before that, a month, two months before that. You got to right. start getting in shape on, like almost way before that as well. Yeah, I mean, first, first day of testing is the 19th of February, so yeah. everything has got to be ready before that. And then you're into a full onslaught of 22 straight races across, you know, five continents and some crazy double headers. Tyler mentioned this when we first looked at this calendar. We have the back-to-back of Azerbaijan. They go all the way to Canada and then have a little bit of a break and then go to France. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's a long way to go. Oh, for sure. Um, the other thing I was going to say is you think you have to think about the, the season afterwards. They're going to be looking at a whole new like series of cars as well. So it's going to be a uh, yeah. big changer for them. I do see that the last race at the at the end of November, you know, probably like four or five days before this year's. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's going to be a big changeover from them for the year after as well when they have to design a brand new car, a brand new engine to keep this going, you know, and with a whole b- bunch of different rules that are going to be set. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. And I mean, it's such a mess with these 2021 rules because we haven't heard anything definitive yet. Yeah. And we haven't talked a lot about the 2021 rules just because there's a lot of things that are being thrown around. I mean, reverse good qualifying, standardized parts, budget caps, all that type of stuff. So yeah. until we see anything kind of concrete and in writing, then we can kind of get into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll touch on it a bit at the end of the season. But you're absolutely right. I mean, not only... Are they focusing on the 2020 cars, which is more of an evolution than revolution? Yeah. And there's going to be not too many changes. But 2021 is a massive change. I mean, we're talking about completely different cars. For sure. Uh, I think on the engine side, things kind of roughly stay the same, but still a lot of development needs to go into that. It's very complex, mm-hmm. like you said. And it doesn't seem like the 2021 rules are are out yet and that they're going to be on time. So teams are kind of going to be stram- scrambling to get things together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with the crazy 22 race calendar, I, I just don't know if, would it be better to maybe have 19 races like we did a couple seasons ago, maybe 20, 18 around there. I just think if you spread it out a little bit more and if you select the right tracks, that the product is going to be really good. For sure. And sometimes, you know, even too much of a good thing isn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. And even though we'd love to maybe have races every single weekend or every single day of the week, sometimes it's better to have that extra week off and then you get really excited for the next race. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if this jam-packed schedule, if we're going to get really great races every single time out and how is reliability going to suffer now with three engines over 22 races? Yeah, that's a fair point. Well, maybe they'll end up adding a fourth I think they're going to have to. If they want to do reverse good qualifying in 2020 yeah. at a couple races, they're going to have to give them extra components. For I sure. Mean, you can't be running the cars like that and expect each team to be in that limit of three engines. And honestly, with the exception of, I think, Ferrari and Mercedes, all the other teams have gone outside of that three engine and, and component limit. I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of the teams have passed it by taking penalties. Well, that so. too, and you think about... Um uh, Williams a few weeks, well, maybe it was last race, they had no front uh, front wing to keep them going or no engine, <laughs> yeah. no, and, and they didn't have another engine if their engine did fail on them. It's cutting it pretty close, so I think they might have to, you know, I think you're right, they might have to add some extra components onto, uh, for, the rule, for the rules next year as well if they are going to do 22 races. Yeah, they got to do something. Uh, but let us know what you think of the uh, 2022, 20, whoa, that's, that's a handful there, yeah. 2020, <laughs> 22 race calendar. <laughs> let us know what you think 
excuse me, is it too much? Is it too little? Would you like to see even more races? I know 25 has been even thrown around yeah. uh, in, in I, some circles. I personally just like to see maybe one or two more teams. That's yeah. That's probably the Agree one thing. There. I, I think that's the one thing I'd like to see added, but yeah, I, I, I I I agree with you. I never thought about it that way, you know, like the fact that there's going to be so many more races, a lot more time going into for, for everybody. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe keeping it at 20, 21 is kind of the way to go. And like you said, take away a few races here or there, a few yeah. tracks, sorry. Yeah, I, I think so. And even when we look at it like this season, I think the way they spaced out this season has been pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, we haven't had too many back-to-backs and we had it sort of in the middle of the summer, but now it's kind of calmed down and you yeah. have a week or two in between races. Well, yeah. And like uh, the fact that, you know, you, you go the entire, you have a f- three or four week summer break and then you have these four almost back-to-back races, you know, in a row, there's five weeks instead of September, there's four races. So. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have that as soon as you come back from the summer summer break. So, yeah, like if they could split it up ten before the summer break, ten after for sure would almost be perfect if they could do it. Yeah, even split all the way through. Yeah. Maybe make the summer break a little bit earlier. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, that's that's it on that. So let us know what you guys think in the comments below. And the last one that we've got for our, our news this week, uh, Daniel Ricardo and his ex manager have reached a twelve million dollar settlement over their legal dispute over unpaid royalties and such. So probably a headache that Daniel Ricardo was glad to get off I mean, his I'm mind. I'm sure that doesn't affect him at all. Well, not with that reported $27.5 million contract exactly. he's got. So I think he's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think he'll be all right. All right, so let's get into the Suzuka International Circuit and our track notes that we've got for this weekend. Like we talked about, one of the best circuits on the calendar. Mm-hmm. Really an old-school track, gravel runoffs grass all around the tracks there's no massive runoff areas you make a mistake and you're going to pay for it we've seen big crashes here we've seen drivers make mistakes all the time Mm -hmm. and that's why people love watch racing at this circuit and that's why the drivers love it as well and like we said first race in 1987 it's the only figure of eight circuit on the entire calendar Mm -hmm. and it's it's unique just looking at the track map you're like trying to track the turns is like wait a minute this is going does, under this yeah, one. Exactly. It does kind of change over here a little bit here and there. So Yeah. And Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel both have four wins here. And this has been a track that has been dominated by Mercedes in the turbo hybrid era. They've yeah. won all the races, much like they did in Russia. So will they continue that streak this weekend? Mm-hmm. We will see. C1, C2, and the C3 tires are available. They have to go with the hardest sets of tires because the tire stress is very high on the circuit. And it's all about lateral demand, right? So mm-hmm. we look at the first sector and the S's and even the first turn. And then we look at the final sector, 130R. These are all corners where a massive amount of downforce and load is being put into the tires. So you're going to need a tire that is very durable. So that's why they brought the C1, 2, and the 3. And while we're actually on the subject of tires, I can bring up the tire allocations for each driver heading into this race. And What's interesting is that Hamilton has gotten different than what Sebastian Vettel has done with. And Vettel's gone with an extra set of the red C3 tires, whereas Lewis only has eight, but he's gone with an extra set of the C2, the yellow sidewall tires. So Hamilton has four of those. Sebastian Vettel has three of those, same with Charles Leclerc. And Valtteri Bottas is also on the same strategy as Lewis Hamilton in terms of the tires. Now, the Red Bull boys of Verstappen and Albon They've gone with the same thing as Ferrari have. So 
one set of the C1s, three sets of the C2s, and then nine sets of the C3. So mm-hmm. a little bit different from, from Mercedes and Ferrari there. Yeah, it's actually a very interesting strategy because it looks like everyone's kind of just gone with the one white hard tire. Uh, and then it's just Hulkenberg, Perez, Stroll, and Russell that are on the two sets of white hard tires. So, Yeah, I think that they're probably going to aim to do a one-stopper on that mm-hmm. C1, whereas, you know, I think the front-runners will probably try a one-stopper, but to go from soft to medium. For sure. But then again, if qualifying is canceled or we don't get to do qualifying and everybody gets a free choice of tires, then that might change a lot of things as well. So, uh, yeah, it should be interesting, but... Um, and then the other thing is, if it is raining over the weekend, we might see a different tire strategy come into play as well, you know? So. Correct, exactly. If it's going to be a monsoon-level rain, then yeah. they're obviously going to need to bring the full wet. So, and this might not even come into play. Again, like we said off the top, a lot of things that we don't know heading into this weekend. For sure. Because one thing that you really can't control is the weather, so that's that's a good point to bring up on that one. Um, if they do run the hard, uh, the slick tires, the tires this year, they are a step harder than 2018. So they should last a little bit longer, but mm-hmm. keep that in mind as well. Um, uh, qualifying is very important at this circuit. So since 1991, only two drivers have won from outside of the front row. And I know that one of those drivers was Kimi Raikkonen, 2005, one from P17. <laughs> yeah. So he loves this track. I mean, that was one of the best drives probably of his career. And, uh, yeah. So qualifying very critical. And uh, there's around about a 70% chance of safety car around uh, around this track. If it's wet, probably even higher, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, for sure. That's, a, that's quite a high chance for a safety car. Yeah, so... So that might be a different strategy into this as well, so... Yep, absolutely. We saw that come into play, obviously, in Russia, right? With mm-hmm. the, the virtual safety cars and, and how that whole race panned out. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some dry running around this track. My favorite part definitely has to be in Sector 1. Turn one is very difficult to get right because... It's I kind mean, of a double turn almost, you know? You're almost turning into the second turn. Yeah, absolutely. And if you get that first part of it wrong, then obviously it messes up that turn two. For and sure. It's so easy to run wide in turn one if you kind of overcommit and you try going too deep. So you really got to find the right braking zone. <laughs> I remember watching an interview with uh, with Sebastian Vettel, and I think they're asking him something about Michael Schumacher and what's like one story or, or no, what it was, was um, they asked him what was the best piece of advice that, that he ever gave you or something like that. And he's like, Vettel says, oh, you know, I called him one day to ask him about turn one and Suzuka, you know, like which line that you take, because every driver will take a different line. Some will go a little bit more outside to the inside or they'll yeah. hug the inside right away. And Michael told Sebastian Vettel, he's just like, I don't know. <laughs> I just I just drive it. <laughs> it's just all on feel. Just, yeah, you, when I get you there, have, I guess yeah. With then that situation, is you have to play it by like how it's going to go every time you're in that in that corner. Yeah. You know? So it, it's a great it's a great corner. And then after that, we talked about it, the S's, the most iconic section of this track, most likely. And I, I think for sure it has to be the most iconic section of the track. And that's why you really need a car that has a good front end because you don't want to understeer into these corners. Mm-hmm. So even though you de- you need some decent engine power around this track, but in my opinion, you don't want to set up to to reduce drag because you want that extra little bit of downforce to get you through sector one. And afterwards, when you get into sector three, for example, your engine power comes a little bit more into play. When you got the long run up into 130R, Interestingly enough, only one DRS zone on this track, though, which is on the start-finish straight. Yeah. So they haven't put one in 
but for I guess obvious reasons, because in one thirty R that's a little bit dangerous if they would put uh, a DRS zone through there. Yeah. But so downforce is important, and it's not a high downforce track. It's kind of right in the middle around there, but it's important to really be stuck on the road in that first sector because it's all about optimizing that lap time. And like we said, I mean, you're understeering into that first corner and that second corner. I mean, it's very easy to run wide. You used to get stuck in that gravel trap. You know, your lap, your qualifying mm-hmm. lap is over, your race is over. That's the penalty that you pay out with these old school tracks. So yeah, that that's where setup gets a little bit tricky, I think, for the engineers. For sure. And I'm just thinking about, you know, R- Russia last week and you, how you're saying it's kind of a similar track. It looks like this track kind of has more turns. Maybe I'm wrong. Let me just double check this. Yeah, I mean, it definitely isn't a, a similar track. Similar in terms of maybe how they would set up the car because in Sochi, you also have long straights, but then also the need for downforce. Yeah. And here's the same too, right? We have the need for engine power as we see in sector three, but obviously you need good downforce in sector one and in sector two as well. So, but they are vastly different for the most part. Same amount of turns though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was just going to say, if uh, just looking at this track, Ferrari kind of has been all years struggling with uh, managing their tires. And with their kind of un- engine upgrades and stuff they've added over the summer, um, they kind of struggled in so- Sochi as well. So I feel like Ferrari might play, might try to play a, um, a two-stop strategy. So it might, should be interesting, unless they try to do it in a safety car. So This is the big test for them this weekend. We yeah. said that when after they won in Singapore that they're coming to a high-load circuit like Suzuka, a lot of pressure on the tires, like you said, as you know, they've struggled a little bit with that, getting the tires into the right window. Mm-hmm. So this is a big test for them now because there aren't really a lot of 90-degree corners and chicanes, only really um, the chicanes down in Sector 2 and then obviously the final turn. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's a lot of high-load corners. So how will the new Ferrari with the updates and, and the correlation that they've fixed, will it be able to excel in those areas? Mm-hmm. And we'll really see it in Sector 1 if they're losing out to Mercedes or possibly Red Bull. But... This is the big test for them. I, I still think that Mercedes are the favorites going into this race. I know that they've said that they're not really the favorites going into any of the races anymore this season, yeah. but I don't think that's true. I still think that Mercedes has the best package overall uh, this season. I think like we mentioned last week with Verstappen, what his comments about the Red Bull heading into this race. I think it might be a tough one for them. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if we take it for word for word, like what they said, they're going to be half a second off. Yeah, for sure. Now, I hope that's not accurate. I hope that they're going to be closer and we see a three-team fight, but it doesn't seem like they're going to be fighting for the win and they're going to be on the back foot a little bit. Well, as you said, this race is sometimes settled in qualifying. Well, it's a major- it has to do a, lot with the, do a lot with the race. And Red Bull ha- hasn't had bad qualifying times. And it's just come towards the very end that they have some penalties and stuff where they've been taken back. Um, I mean, Sochi isn't very um, isn't a huge great example from Max Verstappen, but if they have some good qualifying times, they could hopefully have a good track, a uh, good race, sorry, um, because the only really straight corner is the beginning of the race, and you know, sector two going into sector three. So right. Yeah, they've br- they've brought that. Uh, I believe they're bringing a new fuel as well um, mm-hmm. into that engine, and obviously the upgrades to that engine. So it's their home race, and they want it to pay off. But it doesn't seem like they're going to be there. We thought that they were going to be really strong in Suzuka a couple races mm-hmm. ago, but like we mentioned in the video last week, they've kind of taken a step back after the summer break, and Ferrari have taken that step up, mm-hmm. and it's kind of just made Red Bull look a little worse. 
Yeah, and sure. uh, and they're trailing now. They're third best after the summer break, obviously. Whereas before the summer break, they were the hottest team on the grid, really. Mm-hmm. So I hope they do well. I hope they do well here and can at the very least get a podium. And mm-hmm. again, whether if it plays a factor and if it's wet, that bodes well for Red Bull, bodes well for Max Verstappen. So it could end up being a really good home race for for Honda. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. So I guess we'd do some predictions. Yeah, I guess so. I'm really not sure who to go for this time, to be honest. I think um, for I think who's going to win this race will, will will be Lewis Hamilton. I think Mercedes will clinch the constructors' championship at this race. Yeah, I mean, really, they only need to outscore Ferrari by by 14 points. I don't I, I don't know how Ferrari is going to do here. I really don't because they've taken great steps, obviously, in Singapore and in Russia. This is a different track, different demands on the car. So let's wait and see until the first free fra- free practice session in terms of what they can show. But I'm going to go with Hamilton in P1, Sebastian Vettel in P2, and I think Max Verstappen is going to squeeze out a podium in P3 oh. for Honda. We're going to get at least a one Honda power driver on on the podium this week. And what's funny is because mine, I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> I was like. You know, definitely Mercedes is probably taking this one. I think Sebastian Vettel is going to have a big comeback after what happened in Sochi. And I agree. I think Max Verstappen's just going to squeeze it out, you know? I, I think he's going to be able to do it. I have faith. I hope so. <laughs> he's a good, you know, when it comes to pressure, he's the best. Yeah, you know, He's the best sure. at delivering under pressure. And there's a lot of pressure heading into this if weekend. it's a wet race, you know, pretty sure he's taking it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, he's kind of a specialist. <laughs> He's a little bit of a specialist, and he didn't crash in Germany. But oh, for sure. When the likes of Hamilton and Leclerc and Hulkenberg and all those guys crashed. Mm-hmm. So he's very, very good in the wet. Arguably the best on the grid. Um, and yeah, I think because of that, Vettel's also going to have a good race as well because he did fantastic in Germany. So I th- Yeah, I think that Hamilton and Vettel will qualify one and two. And then, like we said, they'll, they'll probably hold those positions. But yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. I'm I'm interested. It should be an interesting race, an interesting weekend in terms of who will be number one in in, in pace, and and again we we keep harping on it, but the weather is a big factor because mm. it, it could determine a lot of what happens this weekend. For sure. Whether we even have this race, we don't know. We might have to even throw this episode away. <laughs> <laughs> might not even matter. <laughs> yeah, seriously. At all in the end, it might not matter at all. Um, but outside of the podium places, I'm going to be looking again at racing point. And Sergio Perez in yeah. particular. He had a P7 here last year at Suzuka, coming off a handful of P7s actually in the last five races. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you guys didn't watch our power rankings from last week post-Russia, check it out down below. But we put Sergio Perez as number 10, cracking yeah, our sure. top 10. Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be Lando Norris. I think uh, since he kind of got his debut at, in F1 last year, mm-hmm. uh, trying it out for, trying out for McLaren for the first time, you know, this is kind of his second time driving this track. He might not have gotten a whole bunch of time on it, but I think you uh, might be a big surprise for this weekend. Maybe I think I know Science has performed better than him in the last, you know, this mostly this year. But I think this might be his race. Yeah, I hope so. That's a it's an interesting prediction. Mm-hmm. Another guy too that could be looking for a good race, Kimi Raikkonen. For sure, haven't I mean, scored still four races. T- still has a track record. So yeah, yeah, that's right. And like we mentioned, his win in two thousand and five. Good memories here. In yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. What are your predictions then for this year? 
this prediction number one. Will the 2019 Japanese Grand Prix even happen? <laughs> that, <laughs> the big one. Yeah, that, I'll be putting odds on that one. So, yeah, let us know what you think of the race. Let us know who you think will be the favorites going into this weekend and any other comments that you have on the track and the Japanese Grand Prix in general. We'd love to hear from you. And before we go, I just wanted to show this cool picture that I just saw recently uh, before we went on the air. And it's was Max Verstappen was taking Honda's first race-winning F1 car for a run. Richie Ginther used an, used an RA272 powered by a 1.5-liter V12 Honda engine to win the 1965 Mexican Grand Prix, the team's first F1 victory. Wow, that's pretty cool. They also built uh, like little... Uh not go-karts, but uh, what are those? The, the, no engine in them. You kind of just push them down a hill. Yeah, I saw those, like yeah. the pedal carts or yeah, whatever yeah, they're called, exactly. right? Yeah, they build, uh, uh, Red Bull did that over uh, over in Japan over this past weekend, and I guess he had like a uh, all like orange done up F1 yeah. car, and Alex Albon had his helmet. That was cooler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that one was a little bit cooler, but yeah, it was... Uh, looks like they have, you know, they kind of get two home races, which is kind of interesting for Red yeah, Bull. Yeah, so. true. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, Honda's been around for a, for a very long time. And, and the Japanese fans, too. I mean, you're going to see a lot of really cool fan stuff. I mean, the the helmets with the... Or the hats with the DRS wings on them, with the yeah. rear wings. And, I mean, what's great is that even you... Get, like, the most random teams out there, like you'll see Haas fans. Not a shot at Haas or anything like that, but you wouldn't really think there's mm -hmm. Haas fans in Japan. But you see excellent fan support for almost every team and every driver out there. So... Suzuka is one of those tracks and one of those races where you definitely want to go because Japanese fans are just brilliant. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. I think that about does it for this episode. I think we were under 50 minutes uh, for this time, relatively short from, from last <laughs> week. Um, any final thoughts uh, on your end? No, that's pretty much it. I think. All right. Nice, quick, and easy. That should be everything that you need to know heading into this weekend's race. Um, let us know again in the comments what you think will happen in this race. We will try and stay up to date with uh, the weather forecast. Obviously, the podcast will be released, and if we don't get a race, then uh, we'll try and figure out what we'll do next <laughs> week. We'll maybe need to uh, bring you a different type of podcast then. But if the race does continue, and hopefully it does go on, then we will be back next week recapping the 2019 Japanese Grand Prix and also our power rankings post-Japan with uh, Tyler and all three of us here together. Good? Pretty much it, yeah. All right. Much it. Thanks, folks. See you next week. Enjoy the race if we get it. See ya.